This is Media Camp episode number 74. I'm Sergey Ross. Welcome, welcome back. I'm really excited for this one. We're talking about storytelling and storytelling. It is the most important thing. One of the most important things in marketing. How do you talk about setup? How do you talk about conflict? How do you talk about your conclusion resolution? Uh, how do you tell a good story that your audience feels being part of? That context is really critical. Today, I had an opportunity to chat with Mark Evans, who is a fractional CMO, consultant, and advisor. He's been a tech writer for Globe and Mail for years. He knows how to tell a good story. He gives a great, great examples of what makes a good one and a lot more. Here's Mark. All right. This is another episode of Media Camp, and I'm here with Mark Evans, the fractional CMO and a great marketing leader. Mark, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, great to be uh, talking with you after, after our many back and forths on email. I know we've connected on LinkedIn, I believe, in, back in 2019, and this is the first time actually meeting face to face. Well, it was about two jobs and about two years ago, so it's uh, <laughs> it finally get together. Well, it finally happened. Let's start with this because I started asking my guests interesting questions at the very beginning. I'd be curious to hear what you say to this one. What natural gift would you most like to possess? Other than being six foot, I would say <laughs> I would like to, I think flying. I think I'd like to learn to be able to fly like Superman. I mean, I often have dreams where I'm flying and I don't know if I, I can't remember if I flap my arms or not, but the just the ability to go wherever I want really easily, uh, look down on the world would be really uh, super amazing. <laughs> I have tried recently the electric skateboard and let me tell you, that's super cool. Like that it's, almost gives you an idea. It's close to flying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We ever seen those guys who do, go in the flying suits? I don't know if I could do that. I think that would be too terrifying. But if I could do it in my own sort of user-friendly way, I would definitely get into flying. It's interesting. I think Will Smith talks about where you are so scared, almost like you're dying, and then the moment you jump out, you feel you're in a total bliss. I cannot imagine it. I, I sometimes I think about um, parachuting. Like you know, lots of people like they they parachute. And I, I couldn't even consider jumping out of a plane. Like the idea of just that moment in time where you're free falling and you're thinking, this is it. I've made the stupidest mistake of my entire life. And then the shoot, you pull the shoot and then you're all good. But I would, I would be terrified. I just couldn't do it. I, I can't imagine anyone who would do it, not me. It would be interesting. I, I might try it. I might try it because I do like those videos on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe you can do a podcast while you're floating down from the sky. That is a potential that there's a potential there. Okay. <laughs> Mark, Mark, so you are very much a brand builder, a storyteller, and, and a lot of your work that you do right now with your consultant is, is about positioning and, and building brands you're working with, with a lot of startups. And one thing you talk about is storytelling. And in particular, I think you mentioned that storytelling is not as hard as people think that is. T talk to me a little bit more about it. How do you see it? One of the problems with storytelling or one of the challenges with storytelling is that people try to squeeze stories out. They're always trying to think of what's this, who's the hero and what kind of journey are they going on and what kind of troubles do they get into and, and you know, what's the resolution to, to all their challenges. And it doesn't have to be that complicated or that many steps. There are stories all around us. You just have to attune yourself to recognizing that there's small stories and there's dramatic stories and there's stories of pain and glory, but you have to get yourself into a story mindset. I know that sometimes that's hard for people to get their heads around. I'm at, I was a reporter for many years, so I, my job was to recognize stories, but it's, it's things that 
you it's simply things that you find interesting and that you think other people will find interesting. I think that's the bottom line. When I was a reporter, I always thought about what would people want to read? And when I'm doing marketing and I'm doing a video or a podcast, I think to myself, it's not about me and my interests, although it's stuff that I'm interested in. It's more about what would somebody be interested in listening to or reading? So I'm always thinking of the customer or the end user and trying to figure out what would make them stop for a minute or five minutes or 10 minutes to consume the content that I create. So I think that ultimately is the, the ultimate sign of a good story. Do you think, Mark, that let's say if you are, because we are both on LinkedIn and a lot of people right now, especially marketers are on LinkedIn. Do you think that the traditional story framework, which is set up problem and then resolution, do you think that is a necessary piece to, to make it a good story if you're telling it in a short format? That's a good question because sometimes that format really works. I, I, you're probably familiar with Donald Miller and he has that hero problem guide model, which yeah. is awesome. And I recommend people read his books. Even as a marketer, I get value from reading his books. But storytelling happens in different ways on different platforms. So you, it's not a one size um, fits all proposition. The stories that you would tell on, on LinkedIn, for example, would be different from the ones you would tell on a video or a podcast. You know, on LinkedIn, you've probably got, if you're doing a post, you've got 30 seconds, 40 seconds, a minute to tell a story and you just have to do it in a different way. And so, yeah, there's different, different styles, different formulas. Like you think about LinkedIn, for example, like it started off a few months ago, people just write text and then people started using symbols and arrows and check marks. And, and then they started using emojis and all kinds of things, but that's storytelling. That's the evolution of storytelling on a particular platform. And you, you think about people are taking different approaches to those kind of stories to attract an audience. Some people write super short LinkedIn posts. That's a story, it's a micro story. For them, it works. I don't know why it works. Maybe because the audience doesn't have long attention spans and they find that, that kind of, those kind of stories easy to consume. But it's, it's different types of stories in different platforms. And, there's, and, and I, I think it's, you just can't get locked into a, to a particular framework or approach. Yeah, it's so interesting how this uh, there's in that in that uh, platform you have so many different formats that that are that are working well and resonating with people within that platform. What about I'm curious with with a story, how do you define a good one? Um, if you are, for example, maybe you're thinking about ideas and you're thinking about certain concepts, maybe it will be for a video or maybe it will be for a longer article that's just consider more, more long form type of stories. What do you look for kind of signs or questions to, to say, hey, you know, there might be something we could potentially use and develop on it? So I think the best stories are those that people can envision them being as being in the story or part of the story. They can imagine being the customer who's not being treated very well or, or the person who goes on an amazing trip and meets amazing people. So a, a key part of storytelling is is experiences and getting people to imagine what that experience would be like if they used your product or if they used your service. And you just have to sort of recognize situations where with something's happening that you find interesting in a particular way. So I'll give you an example. My wife and I went yesterday to buy tennis shoes. We walked in the store. There was nobody there except for one salesperson they barely recognized us. They barely paid us attention because the person was, was stringing a racket, right? And, 
and I'm going to write about it at some point in time, but that experience, that frustrating experience of not getting some, not paying someone, not someone paying, not paying, not, not paying attention to me was the, was a, was, it was a bad experience, but that's a good story because I will then write a post about, here's the thing. Every customer, every prospect deserves your full attention. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're stringing a racket or climbing stairs or whatever. When I come in the store and I want to buy something or I want to ask a question, you've got to be all over me. So that's just one example of an experience. And I think if, as, as a marketer, if you're, if you look to tell stories about experiences, good or bad, then you're going to, you're going to, that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's a good approach. I remember uh, I posted about the rice cooker, uh, buying a rice cooker on Amazon and that post got so much engagement. I could not understand why, but now it gives me, gives me a well, bad idea. But the thing about it is, is that people can relate to you when you're talking about buying a rice cooker because lots of people have done it. I suspect the rice cooker didn't work very well, or maybe it was amazing. It was, it was basically the whole point was, it was when I thought about buying a rice cooker, there was one specific brand that I wanted and I didn't do any research. I just went and bought it. So I was saying, can you imagine how many marketers worked on, on trying to push other brands that they never even had a chance? Yeah, exactly. But, but as a marketer and a consumer, that's very relatable. And that's maybe the other part of, of storytelling is that people can relate. They can, they can understand where you were sitting, what you were thinking, what you actually did. And so it's not an esoteric kind of concept. It's actually real. Uh, and it's something they can relate to. They can understand that experience. Do you think, Mark, with, let's say, if we, when you're working with a company and you defined, let's say, their product positioning and you have a certain story around it that you're trying to tell, when you are creating content pieces, how do you make sure that the story is being told through those content pieces like webinars or, or let's say, it's a white paper or a LinkedIn post consistently? One thing about brand positioning is that it establishes a line in the sand. Because brand positioning can't change over time. It's very fluid and it's very dynamic, but it does allow a company to understand what they do, who they serve and how they're unique. And those are the three pillars of, of good marketing and, and they underpin good storytelling and good sales for that matter. So you combine that with, with everything being customer centric. So your content needs to be focused on your customers their questions, their needs, their problems, their aspirations, the things they dream about, the things they're scared shitless of. I mean, all those, can I swear on your podcast? Is that okay? Oh, totally. So, so I got E and oh, <laughs> So all the things that they, that they feel, all the things that they, they think about doing, your content has to be, has to be reflected um, by that, right? So it's all about them. It has nothing to do with you. Like I often say that product is irrelevant. They don't care about your product. They don't care how it works. All they care about is what does it do for them? How does that create the experience that they're going after? How does it solve a problem? And maybe in time they'll figure out how it works and they'll want to get, they'll want to dig into the product itself. But from the outside looking in, all they want you to do is just serve their needs. That's your job. Mm, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I think we need to remind ourselves about it a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we, as I think a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of stars tend to be very product centric. We love our products. We love developing our products. That's why we hire a ton of software developers and we keep them busy all the time adding new features. When in fact, I suspect that most customers use about 20% of the features and they love those features, but we just don't spend enough time talking to our customers to get a real feel of why they like our product, why they use it, how they get value out of it. I was on uh, one of the 
like it was it was a like a startup advisory panels and it was essentially you are basically meeting with this new startups via pre-seed and they're telling you about their product uh, and you only have 20 minutes and you could you need to give them a marketing suggestion and my biggest challenge by far was just trying to understand what they're doing they use all these words and i have like guys let's just not go any further like that like somebody's trying to show me the deck i'm like i i can't understand what you do <laughs> Well, it happens all the time. I mean, and from the outside looking in and as marketers, we, we say to ourselves, how can that be? How can you not explain in English or plain language what you do and why it matters? Like when I was a reporter, for example, I'd, I'd, be, I'd get these interviews set up by a PR agency and I'd talk to these tech executives and they would ramble on and on and I'd say, okay, I didn't understand a word you said. Like I've been writing about technology for five years or 10 years and you really have to explain to me in very simple terms what what you do. And so they would say, hmm. And then they'd spend about 15, 20 seconds doing it. And I go, that's it, that's it exactly. Like, that's it. But And so many startup entrepreneurs struggle with that because for whatever reason, they, they just get lost in the product and, and the features. And they forget about the fact that customers are the only ones who matter, really, when at the end of the day. There was this uh, good example. I don't remember where I saw it, but it was like, well, if Steve Jobs talked about iPod as, well, there's this MP3 player and there's like this 2.5 HDD drive and you can you can have all this music. Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, well, they, you know, Steve Jobs was, was a master marketer uh, and among other things, but he was a great storyteller. Like when you think of those those presentations that he gave and the drama that was built up and the way that he teased out the story and, and the way that he, you know, got people amped and amped and amped to the point where everyone got so excited. Like for example, when he introduced the iPhone, everybody knew he was going to announce the iPhone. Like it was, it was the worst kept secret ever yet. When he told the story, got people excited. When he finally unveiled it, people stood up in the seats and they were cheering. They went crazy, but they already knew the end of the story. But the fact of the matter was he was such a good storyteller that they couldn't help themselves. There were so many different steps in that presentation. I actually analyzed it on YouTube. There were really like 14 things that he did or even way more, like the little subtle things, like how he built up the, the, the problem, talked about the, the, the key problems about the, the smartphone. It was also interesting when he got to the point about the price. Everybody's super excited. Then he shown the pricing for the, for the current phones. Then he anchored people massively and then went through the features again, like three times about what iPhone does and said, you know what, we will price the phone the same as if you were to buy this phone and an MP3 player. How about that? And everybody's like, that's so cool. Yeah, he was a master marketer and a master salesman at the same time. What about, let's talk about a podcast, Mark. I'm uh, interested because you have started your own show relatively recently and you've done quite a lot of episodes already. I was curious, what was surprised you about starting a show and then interviewing people, what was interesting or stood out from this whole experience? So maybe a little bit of background in, at the end of April, I lost my job as the VP marketing of a SaaS company. And rather than sort of sit in the corner and cry about, you know, my career misfortune, I reached out to a lot of people just to connect with people and to see what people were doing. It was the middle, I mean, it was the height of COVID and everybody was inside. And I had like dozens and dozens of really great conversations, just reaching out to people on Zoom and connecting. And it suddenly dawned on me that this is all great podcast material. And I thought about launching a podcast in the past, but I always sort of dismissed it. It's too hard, too complicated. Like I don't have the time. 
And then for whatever reason, I, I, I decided to get into it. And I just sort of, I took a deep dive into it and learned about how to edit and how to host and how to, and how to actually do them. And I think what's most surprising about podcasts is the fact that it gives me the ability to ask anybody that I want to, to be on my podcast. It doesn't matter where they're located or what they do. And no one has said no yet. Well, I've only done about 10 podcasts, so I'm 10 for 10, right? But, yeah. but it's awesome. And I'm really, I'm really, that's the most exciting part about it is the fact that people are really into talking. People like having conversations. It's not like I've written thousands of blog posts and it gives, and blog posts gives me nowhere the same thrill as doing a podcast. Is it uh, the speaking live on the show? Um, is that like the key, the, inter, the most interesting, the most exciting part? It's the interactivity. I like, I'm, I'm a talker and I'm a, I'm an outgoing person. I like having conversations. I'll talk to anybody. I go, I go to a party. I'll talk to anybody about anything. And, and, and I'm a reporter by nature. So I ask lots of questions. So I'm that, that part of podcasting is very natural to me. Like I've done it for years and years and I just like talking to people and I like hearing their stories. And one thing that I've learned along the way is that people like talking about themselves and what they're doing. Like it's really easy to get people going. And the podcast is a great medium to, really allow people to tell their story. And, and when you approach people, they, they're very enthusiastic. And that's the best part about podcasting is they're, they're as excited as you are. That's, uh, that's so true. That is so true. Was there anything that was maybe unexpected from the whole setup perspective, the logistics perspective, just booking guests? I would say that it was the there's, all, there's, a, there's like a million little things you have to do to launch a podcast. You know, everything from cover art to like getting approval from iTunes to uploading your podcast to directories to making sure you've got um, the right host. Like it just went on and on and on. And I felt like I was jumping through a lot of hoops. And I think for a lot of people, that's where things get overwhelming because it's like, I have to do another thing and another thing. So it was a big learning curve. One of the things that surprised me was that when I looked to, into how to edit podcasts, I looked at a whole bunch of things and I landed on Audacity, which is a free, you know, which is a free open source yes. software. And then I looked at it for the first time and I was like, there's no way I'm going to learn this. This is way too technical. I'm a creative guy, but I'm a writer. I'm not like the geeky guy. And then in about a week, I learned it. I learned how to use it. I went on uh, YouTube and I watched a whole bunch of videos and just figured out what I needed to do. And that was a really, like, that was a really, um, it was a great surprise for me to actually said, I just learned technically how to do these things. And now it's an, it's a natural, like I know how to do all these things that I never thought like a couple months ago that I would learn to do. Yeah. I think there's also a point where you launch your own show and then you start comparing your show to others where it's like level one to level 501 or 510. And you're like, wow, like, like how should they do it? Right. There's this, this incorrect perception that really kills you. Yeah. One of the things about podcasting is that, it's easy to get envious of other people's podcasts. So when you listen to Michael Lewis's podcast or Pivot, they're so well produced and the conversations are so good, but you forget that there's a lot of people behind the scenes that are, are they work to make that podcast look really good. So I think the most important thing is to just do a podcast and do it the best you can and make it as interesting and as insightful as you can. And maybe your production quality isn't as good as some of the high profile podcasters, but it's better than not doing anything at all. And the one thing about podcasting is that it's a, it's a passion play. It's, it's really, a lot of people are, are doing podcasts because they love it. 
They love the conversations. They love the process. They love, just love everything about it. And, and don't worry about your, like over time you can get better at producing your podcast, but like, I, I don't think you lose points for having a podcast that's not perfect. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you do the work with no expectations. It's something really good comes out of it almost every time, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the one of the secrets of podcasting is that it's not about the numbers. It's not about how popular you are, how many people subscribe to your podcast. I think it's more about the conversations and the connections. Because as I said earlier, like if you can you could reach out to anybody that you find interesting, and I guarantee that most of them, maybe ninety five percent of them, will say yes, or or they'll say yes, I'll do it, but maybe in a bit in a couple of months from now. But no one would. Like right now, people don't reject interview requests. And once you get that conversation going, anything can happen. Opportunities can arise. Friendships can arise. Like you can go back and forth with people who you really respect and, and they start to respect you back. That's, they can respect you back. And I think that's the most powerful thing about podcasting. It really isn't about, it's not about the quantity of anything. It's the quality of the conversations and the connections. And they see you as a media person which is so interesting. You, they, you automatically being perceived as a media versus anybody else, right? You're not, you're not an, another sales guy anymore. Yeah. I mean, perception is reality, right? Cause you can just be somebody in your basement doing a podcast, but all of a sudden you get approached by PR agencies thinking you're part of the media. The other thing um, I think about uh, a podcasting is that it's really a jumping off point to producing other kinds of content. Cause once you get a podcast interview, you can do blog posts and videos and LinkedIn posts and social media updates. You've got a wealth of content from one source, from one person. And that person is usually a domain expert or a thought leader. So they're going to give you great content. And then you just repurpose that content any way you want. It's surprising that nobody, not everybody does it by now, but <laughs> we'll, well see. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, when I ask people who produce podcasts, I say, well, is it too late to jump on the podcast bandwagon? And the answer they say is that there are like, I don't know, 600 million blogs out there and, and a gazillion uh, YouTube video channels. And there's about a million podcasts. And, and of those, many of them are, are not updated on a regular basis. So there's very few podcasters doing it. Now it seems because podcasting is the bell of the ball right now that everybody's podcasting. But really, that's not the case. So if you are thinking of a podcast, there's huge opportunities. I know, for example, that like you're, you're, you've just got into producing podcasts. And I think that's a great field to be in because I think there's amazing runway for B2B companies, for enterprise companies to jump on the podcast bandwagon and start to differentiate their sales and marketing. So if you're, not, if you're thinking about a podcast, stop thinking about it and start doing it. Yeah, there, I think I, the way that I think about it from, from the B2B perspective, there are really two main things that they can gain. Well, if one is that they can build relationships with their ideal prospects, which is extremely powerful and, and really difficult to do with an email or a phone. But the other one is you just you just fill your top of the funnel uh, with really high quality content that yeah, you can promote on Facebook and you can put it organically on LinkedIn. You can fill up your newsletter and it's a, if it's the interview is done well, then you can really tackle the both things and uh, at, a, at a relatively reasonable time, reasonable effort. Yes. Marketers. I mean, one of the keys is you want to differentiate yourself. How do you stand out from the crowd in a very noisy marketplace? So everyone's blasting away with, blog posts and infographics. 
podcasts less so now than maybe six months ago or a year, but podcasts go against the grain because not everybody's doing them. They're different. And so you can produce and create content in an interesting and new way that people may have not discovered before. So they're tired of blogs and maybe they're tired of watching videos, but now the podcasts have gone along. They're going, well, that's interesting. Maybe I'll start doing that when I'm working out from home or I'm working from home. So I think there's, I think it's huge potential, but that's the thing about the marketing landscape. There's always something new and shiny. And, and the key is to jump on something when it's relatively new before everybody else gets to the party. What about uh, content creators? I want to talk a little bit about content creators and marketers as a part of them is to what would be your advice, Mark, from if you, let's say there's a content creator who's listening to the show, what should they start doing that maybe they're not doing right now? It's whether with content creation or their LinkedIn game or with their storytelling. I think that the most powerful thing you can do is create content on a consistent basis. So you can run marketing, you have to build an audience and you have to feed the beast because once you establish yourself as a content creator, then you have to fill the funnel all the time. And so whether you're doing it once a week or twice a week or three times a week, you've got to be consistent because that sets expectations. Marketing and content creation fails when you're sporadic because you lose your momentum and you lose your audience and you get out of, there's, you, there's a cadence that, does, that never materializes. So that's one. And the second thing is, is as you, um, as you write more content, you can focus on making it better and better and better. And so there's a school of thought out there that the only way that you can create great content is by practicing. And unlike, you know, when you're practicing a piano before you go on stage, a lot of your practicing happens in, in public, in front of people. So you're, it's not going to be perfect. And you, there might be a spelling mistake. So you might, when you're doing a podcast, you might stumble in terms of asking a question, but you're learning in real time and your audience will be forgiving as long as you continue to improve. And as long as you're, you're honest about your mistakes, like if you asked a question and then you stumbled, you could say, okay, let me just, let me ask that again. You know, and people go, well, that's normal. That's human. Cause people do that. We're not, we're not robots. We're not perfect. Right. So I think my, my advice to content creators is, is just create content and, and be excited about the content that you're creating. You just made me remember a lot of moments of, uh, of stumbles and mm -mm, all, all of those things that happened so many times. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that I think about is when you're doing a podcast and you're editing it, should you take out all the mistakes and all the ums and the errs? And sometimes, yeah, you should take out some of that, but sometimes you have to leave it in because it makes you sound human. It makes you sound, people can relate to you because everybody doesn't talk perfectly when they're doing an interview and neither should you. So it's, it's an interesting proposition sometimes. I have to say to me, editing my or listening to my interviews was amazing because I was so angry at myself many times when I, the way that I spoke that that drove me like nothing else. I completely changed the game incredibly fast because that was in my mind when the new episode was rolling out. Well, I think one is we have to be kind to ourselves. We can't beat ourselves up for not being perfect. Like, like, a, like I play tennis, right? And I am a very enthusiastic tennis player, but I make a lot of really unforced errors. And I would kill myself when I made unforced errors. I, I even, I hate to admit it, but I would throw my racket, expensive, uh, extensive exercise when you do that. But I think what I'm trying to learn, and it relates to content and marketing as well, is that when you make a mistake, it's just a mistake. 
and you have to learn from your mistakes and and not beat yourself up when you're doing that and the one thing about it when you when you observe yourself when you listen to yourself on a podcast or is that or watch yourself on a video is that you'll pick up on things that are like you would never pick up on before so then what do you do you improve and you don't do it the next time and that's the beauty of of making mistakes and learning from them yeah i think you actually as a creator you always look way more critically at whatever you produce and other people don't see it but it doesn't stop you to say damn it i should have done it better i know but that's just part of being a content creator is that we we are our own worst critics what about in terms of content creators what should they stop doing maybe mark you've seen on linkedin for example because you do spend quite a bit of time there what are some of the things that people should stop doing that maybe they're focusing too much on right now talk about themselves it drives, me, it drives me crazy so i spend a lot of time on linkedin like you do and when i read posts about people's accomplishments or how they work or how they do sales or or how many clients they've attracted it drives me crazy because i don't care about them i care about well i care about me <laughs> so it seems kind of funny but i i care i want insight into how i can do marketing better or sales better or play tennis better like deliver value for the people you're trying to serve as opposed to promote trying to promote yourselves there's a lot of self-promotion on linkedin i mean it, at the end of the game like we're all trying to attract more business and build brand awareness and a, and a better personal profile but that comes as an indirect result of delivering value and and really trying to help people do better themselves as opposed to you so that that's one thing that really drives me crazy on LinkedIn is there's, there's, there's a growing amount of self-promotion. Maybe it's because people run out of things to talk about. Um, and it's easy to talk about yourself, but I would stay away from that. That that's my number one thing that drives me crazy. What I noticed with, with LinkedIn, I'd be curious to hear your thought is when there's a, there's a bit of a difference between a marketer and content creator and I, in not all of the content creators, but at least a part of them where they create content because they want to, they enjoy it. And also it helps the audience versus marketers. A lot of times what they help con they, they create content that really directly helps the audience and maybe they don't enjoy necessarily creating that. And there's this interesting circle or dynamic or vortex where you as a content creator, you find something that resonates with your audience but you don't really want to do that. You don't necessarily want to talk about it. And you have a choice. You can optimize it and you will get a lot of views. You'll get tens of tens and tens of views or hundreds of thousands of views, or you don't. And you talk about what you enjoy, but you will sacrifice your growth and you will grow a lot slower. Just curious to, to see what you think. It's a really tough balancing act because as a content creator, you write something that you think is amazing and you get hundred views and one comment, you write something that's you think is crappy because it's the end of the day and you want to do something and you feel you got to make a daily post and it explodes and you go, I don't understand what's going on here. Like it's like LinkedIn's algorithm or, or whoever it works is completely mysterious. Like if there's no rhyme or reason, like one of the things that I find really interesting is these posts that are like two lines. And then the third line is thoughts and there's no value. There's no insight there's no there's no like this, they're not smart or anything and they explode like 600 comments and you know, a thousand likes and you're going i don't know what that is and I, I think part of it is that a lot of people just want to jump on the bandwagon so it's a high profile person they just want to be part of the, that person's world and we know who those people are and a lot of it is that that there's i think there's these networks and groups that are being formed 
So like there could be dozens or hundreds of people in a group. So when I post, you're going to like it. Right. And that's our engagement groups. Oh yeah. Engagement groups. And that those, that's completely artificial. And it, and it's, so I think when you really, when you really boil it down to write the content that you like to write, like write the content that you think is going to offer value and insights going to help other people and that you're excited about. Like there's lots of things that I write about that it's just, it's just a moment of inspiration or a, a story that I, that I come across and I'm excited about the story. So I just want to tell it. And those, and, and those are the ones that I feel best about if they, if they work, that's great. And if they don't work, that's okay too. Like I think on LinkedIn, you have to forget about the numbers because it's not a, it's not a numbers game. It's really about, who you connect with and you could get a hundred views on your post, but if one or two of those people are protect potential customers, that's a successful post. That's all you need, right? It's just, you just have to resonate with the people that you want to resonate with. And, and if you don't get a thousand likes and a thousand comments, it doesn't matter. Those are just vanity metrics. I absolutely agree. I think that is exactly the right way to think about it. And it's so easy to get caught up in, in a lot of likes and comments and start over optimizing for that because you can, there absolutely is a way to come up with ideas and a format that will purely favor the algorithm and you keep getting the numbers, which feels good. It does feel great to have those likes and engagement, but as said, Godin said, like he doesn't have any comments on his blog for a reason. He doesn't really care. Do people read it or they don't? It's something that he is important enough to post, but at the same time, you're growing very slowly. Yeah, I, I mean, we're very data centric. We're, we want uh, instant gratification. We, we, we want, it's, it's, we, want our, we want our egos to be stroked. There's all those things that lend people to embrace techniques or to, or to hack algorithms that will drive more engagement. And for some people that's great and, it, and it, maybe it works for them. For other people, you, you know, it just you just do what you want to do. Just do what you need. You think that it's going to drive your business forward. It's going to make you feel about good about spending a lot of time on a platform. Like we all can't be Chris Walkers. Like we all can't create two minute videos that get huge engagement. And that's great. He's and I'm, and he's doing well. But for the rest of us, it's just a matter of the ROI that you think you you need to get from LinkedIn. So if it's if it's posts that make you feel good, or if it's if it's a if it's a prospect that pops up once a week or if it's comments from the right people, then that is success. And you should ride that success and you should enjoy it. And I think one thing that people misunderstand or some of them misunderstand about Chris Walker or any people who do that crazy engagement is that you have to have that level of obsession about that specific area of marketing that he talks about and he spent five years doing it because he really is obsessed and you could tell. And if you don't have that level of interest, there's not a chance. It will happen and you also have to be at the right time to get to to jump in the game it's not just the interest it's it's all the factors that have to align for you to succeed platform and organic reach are one of them but there are a lot of them and they change every day so it's not a it's never a direct comparison yeah linkedin is a moving target the algorithm changes like i think people have noticed in the last couple of months that post that got a lot of engagement now get very little engagement, post that got no engagement, get lots of engagement. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes because obviously LinkedIn is trying to optimize the platform and drive content, drive engagement. So they'll promote people who, who get a lot of engagement. It's a bit of a vicious circle. But, you know, somebody like Chris Walker, if you think about it, like he, he had a wealth of experience built up in years and years and years of, of learnings and lessons. And, and then at the right time, LinkedIn 
emerged as a platform for him to leverage everything he's learned and all the things that, all the ways that he's helped clients. It was a perfect storm that happens. And that's, that's awesome and it got a worked out term. But I would argue for lots and lots and lots of other people, including you and me, um, that LinkedIn has, has generated huge ROI and changed the amount of clients that we've attracted, but more important, the people that we've connected with. I would say that over this, the last six months is that I've gotten more value from connecting with people from all around the world and, and calling them up on Zoom or talking to them on the phone and having real conversations and developing relationships that may or not help me down the road, but it's real people. Like I really feel that's the best thing that I got out of LinkedIn. LinkedIn was phenomenal. I have to say, I think I got everything uh, professionally from LinkedIn, <laughs> like every, yeah. every job, every connection started in 2014. So that uh, the value is, if you, if I think about it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And I spent like, you know, as a writer, I spent, I spent a lot of time write, writing blog posts and it, like, I felt like in a way it was a bit of a Don Quixote type of experience. So as I was writing blog posts, I ignored LinkedIn because, you know, I don't understand LinkedIn and blogging's the way to go. And, and now like if I blog, what I'm doing is I take my LinkedIn posts and I'll just cross post them on my blog. Like I, I don't really pay much attention to my blog right now, other than maybe for SEO purposes, but, but because LinkedIn's where the action is, like LinkedIn is where you get the engagement and you get the connections and you, like I always say, when it comes to marketing, you party where the party's happening. So whether you are a client trying to attract prospects, like you go, you want to go to the places where people are consuming content and ignore the places where they're not. And so for people like us, LinkedIn's the place to go for, for other, for B2B companies, maybe it's LinkedIn or Facebook or videos, but you got to be where, where the action is. Not try to uh, attend too many parties at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that would be exhausting. I mean, you just can't spread yourself too thin. It's a good analogy because, you know, marketing is really about being focused and doing a few things really, really well, as opposed to doing a bunch of things in a mediocre way. Mark, what is the book or a couple of books that you have gifted the most or recommended to people the most that uh, maybe uh, our audience would benefit from the marketing perspective, content perspective or, or business? So a couple of books that I've, that I've, um, one that I read recently is Marketing Made Simple by Donald Miller. So Donald, Donald Miller is a very well-known storyteller, brand storyteller. And as an experienced marketer, I looked at him and said, what can I learn from Donald Miller? But when I read his books, it was like, man, he gets down to the fundamentals and it really reconnects you to marketing that matters and the things that you need to focus on. And the other thing, the other book is a book, um, by Robert Bloom called the inside advantage. And, he was the former chairman of Publicists, a major advertising agency, and he really talks about stories that are customer centric and how and the importance of knowing and understanding what your customers are thinking and crafting marketing and advertising that aligns and reflects their needs, goals, aspirations, all those, all those good things. So the most successful advertising, for example, reflects their needs and interests and, it tells, and tells great stories about experiences that they, they can relate to. So those are two books that I would recommend. They're both of them are a really easy read. They're not too long. You know, in fact, I would, most business books that I read, I will put down after 25 pages because I get the thesis, right? I, I understand what you're writing about. I don't have to read the rest because you've just padded it out. But with those two books, it's like, they're so, so easy to read that it takes you a couple of days and you're done and you go, wow, that was a good read. We'll link them in show notes. so Everybody can check them out. I haven't read them, but I, I'd love to. That's, that's a really good one. Mark, where's everybody can find you online? So I recently rebranded. Uh, my, my company is now called, called Marketing Spark. And you can find me at marketingspark.co. 
or you can do a search on LinkedIn and you can find my many, many posts on LinkedIn these days. <laughs> Mark, and, and remind the audience, what do you help businesses with so they, they, uh, they know? So I, I position myself as a fractional CMO for fast-growing B2B companies. And so I work with companies in different ways as a part-time CMO, a strategic uh, project person, and an advisor. And my areas of expertise are brand positioning and messaging, uh, strategic planning and overseeing tactical execution. So I, I play on the brand experience side. I don't do SEO. I'm not a data person. There's tons of people who are great at those kind of things. But if you're looking for ways to craft a story, to differentiate yourself and to make marketing happen, that's where I can help you. And uh, there, you, there you go. If you need help with that, uh, Mark, it will be on LinkedIn and we'll have all the links you, uh, so you guys can go and connect. Mark, pleasure to have you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's been a long journey between us connecting and finally talking, but I'm, I'm glad it finally happened. Yes, it was fun. It was really fun. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this one. And before you take off, you can find all the resources in the show notes. You can connect with me or with my guests. You can find all the books that were mentioned or all the links that were mentioned on this episode. Let's go make great content. Let's make controversial content because that's the whole point of the show. How do you tell a great story? How do you build a brand and state your opinion that is different, that stands out, that is in that 4% instead of being in that 96% of noise, of boring stuff that nobody really wants to consume and just passes by. That's not us. That's not what we do. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next one.